Uh, so good morning. Um, as Caitlin said, my name's Alistair, uh, and I'm one of the pastoral assistants here uh, at Kingdom Vineyard. And I have the pleasure of going, th- going through our next passage in Acts. If you haven't been around for the rest of the series, or if you've been away for a bit, then you can catch up on all our sermons on our website. Last week, Morag spoke about some of Paul's adventures in Corinth, and this morning we're picking up right where she left off. In this passage, we have three stories being told, and there's a fair amount going on. But throughout the passage, we're going to be looking at what kind of disciple Jesus wants. When I mean disciple, I mean um, student, um, follower, and uh, friend, Um, so those sort of things. So what kind of disciple does Jesus want? So I'm going to invite Lucy, my wife, up to um, read the passage which I forgot to print out, so I put it on my tablet. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it's also it's a really fun passage because there's loads of place names and people, so, um, so you're welcome. <laughs> you got it? All right, I'll shut up. So it's from Acts 18, uh, 18 to 19. Um, okay. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills and he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid laid his hands on them, The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all. 
And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Great stuff. Thank you very much. So in this passage, Luke, who was the writer of Acts, tells three stories. And because they're told back to back, uh, we should probably consider how they're linked to each other. So this morning, we'll take a look at the three sections of this passage and think about the kind of disciple Jesus wants. But first of all, as I said, there's a lot of people and place names mentioned in in this passage. So I've prepared a little something to give us a hand. What you're about to witness is some PowerPoint wizardry and an incredibly well-rehearsed bit of interaction with the tech team. <laughs> Are you ready, Joel? Great. <laughs> this is going to go so well. Do you want to bring up uh, the map, please? <sighs> so good. I had so much fun last night. <laughs> So, uh, click again. Great. We start off with Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, and they're in Corinth for all of about 10 words, and then go to Sancria. There we go. (laughs) There, we're told that Paul gets a haircut. Then they sail to Ephesus. Paul says goodbye to Priscilla and Aquila and heads off to Jerusalem and then Antioch to conclude a second missionary journey. That little wave. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, great. And that's section one. (laughs) Great. Meanwhile, a guy called Apollos, who was a Jew from Alexandria, which is in Egypt, comes on the scene. Great. I don't know why that was the picture uh, that Google gave me, but there we go. (laughs) There's an S, I don't know, is it the plural? No, okay, right. (laughs) So, uh, he arrives in Ephesus, um, we don't know from where, and he meets Priscilla and Aquila. Oh, great. Um, They have a conversation to teach him about Jesus. (laughs) And do a cartwheel or something. Um, And then he's sent out to Achaia, which is just around the corner uh, where uh, Corinth is. And that's section two. Great. Uh, Jumping back to Paul, and his third missionary journey begins. (laughs) He goes back the way he went before on his last journey, strengthening the church as he goes, but he takes a detour to visit Ephesus. So he goes along, there we go, and he arrives in Ephesus. Great. Um, We're not told where Priscilla and Aquila are, but we are told about a group of disciples Paul meets in Ephesus. These guys. Um, he tells them about Jesus, and they meet the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and they also do some cartwheels. Uh, and our passage finishes with Paul debating, along with these new disciples, in Ephesus. Sure. Um, and that's section three. Thanks, Joel. That was great. <laughs> 
That brings me so much joy. Right, <laughs> so let's jump in with section one. Um, we start with Paul in Corinth, along with his friends Priscilla and Aquila, who he met last week. As Morag said, Paul spent some time working with them in Corinth because they were all tent makers. Then they leafed together for Ephesus. It's here that Luke points out that Paul stops off uh, to have a haircut, which seems strange to make a point of this. Then we read that Paul arrives in Ephesus and heads straight to the synagogue. As we've seen before, it's Paul doing his Paul thing. But this time, instead of people cracking out their pitchforks, it seems to actually go quite well. They actually ask him to stay with them. But despite this, Paul chooses to leave to go to Jerusalem. And again, this seems strange. But I think this is another example of Paul being the kind of disciple Jesus wants. Luke says that Paul does these things because of a vow he made to God. It's called a Nazarite vow, and it's spoken about um, way back in Numbers uh, in chapter 6. The idea is that the person makes a promise to God to especially set themselves aside for him, usually for a period of time. As a sign of this, the person can't cut their hair until the vow is complete. And then they must go to the temple to offer some sacrifices. So Paul has made this vow at some point and keeps his promise to God by completing it at the temple in Jerusalem, even though it meant leaving Ephesus when all was going so well. This shouldn't surprise us about him, as we've seen it time and again, how he is obedient and faithful to Jesus, both in bad times and when it seems to be going so well. This is the kind of disciple Jesus wants. How good are we at seeking and asking for what God wants us to do? Both when life gets tough, but also when life goes well. In both situations, we can be consumed by our circumstances. It can be so easy to lose sight of God in the midst of everything going wrong. And we can even just forget to look to him when everything seems to be going all right. Either way, we shouldn't let our circumstances determine the level of our obedience to Jesus or our hunger to hear what he has to say. It should be a part of of our day-to-day discipleship to Jesus in every situation. That's the kind of disciple Jesus wants. The other theme that jumped out to me in this section was how Paul wasn't just an evangelist. He also trained up or discipled great leaders. We see Paul at it again here with Priscilla and Aquila. The model of leadership training we talk about a lot in the vineyard is outlined in another memorable, memorable um, acronym, I-R-T-D-M-N-R. Which should, yeah, there we go, great. Or Ert de Meneur, as we like to say. Uh, this stands for uh, Identify, Recruit, Train, Deploy, Monitor, Nurture, Release, or some say Reproduce. Um, yes, yeah, super catchy. Um, it took me ages to learn that. Um, so, <laughs> so to give an example of this, uh, this is the process of how we might go about uh, training up a worship leader. We would identify someone, either from conversation or from them leading worship in a home group, or from seeing them at a worship circle. We would then have a conversation about recruiting them and putting them on the rotor. Then training usually happens with them starting out as a member of the band, and including them in conversations um, about worship leading. If that goes well, then we might deploy them on the road to, as a worship leader. 
uh, for a band. We keep an eye on them, monitor, and regularly check in with them. Then at some point, they need to move on, and we release them from the worship team in the hope that they're equipped to go and train new leaders. And I hope there's some people squirming in their seats about how they can relate to that little uh, process there. In this section, we see Paul releasing Priscilla and Aquila after having built a relationship with them in last week's passage, and they go on to reproduce even more leaders. I think what's important to point out um, is that every step of what I just outlined is heavily based on relationship. It's a relationship that changes throughout the process, but all of this training happens in the context of community. This idea of community continues in section two, Ah, there we are, um, which is uh, from verse 24 to the end of chapter 18. This is a story about Apollos being irked and manured by Priscilla and Aquila. He's well-educated in the Old Testament and speaks boldly in the synagogue. But as soon as Priscilla and Aquila hear him speaking, they identify something in him. They recruit him and train him. In, the NIV, in some of the translations, including the NIV, it says that they, they invite him back to their house. Um, and they explain to him the way of God more adequately. We see that their training was a great success. First of all, uh, again, their training was in the context of relationship and community, as they invite this guy around for essentially a cup of tea. Then if you read other parts of the New Testament, the name Apollos actually comes up a couple of times, most notably in 1 Corinthians, where we can see that Apollos had a significant impact on that church. Priscilla and Aquila's act of relationship-driven training as a product of Paul's relationship-driven training had a huge impact on the church. Here, we're seeing Priscilla and Aquila being the kind of disciples that Jesus wants. I read an article by this guy called Chris Lane, who's one of the senior pastors at St. Albans Vineyard. Um, he wrote this. Uh, when we understand that we are called to reproduce leaders who reproduce leaders who reproduce leaders, the kingdom of God begins to grow exponentially. It was never God's plan that we sh- of. It was never God's plan that the kingdom of God should grow incrementally. It's designed to grow exponentially. Leaders reproducing leaders who reproduce leaders. That's what we need in the 21st century: exponential growth. What an incredible model of making disciples of all nations. But we don't need to overcomplicate it. In this passage, we see Priscilla and Aquila living that out and essentially having a chat over a cup of tea. And for us, that could be like having dinner with people, grabbing a coffee with someone, going for a walk with someone, having a Burns night together. This sort of stuff both enables us to disciple each other and for us to welcome others in. It's often the little acts and the little things that build a community. And the world is crying out for genuine community. And we can foster that. I think Jesus wants disciples who are in community. A community who encourages each other, challenges each other, loves each other, and points each other back to Jesus. So what kind of relationships are we investing in, both in this church and outside of it? Who are the people who we are encouraging and challenging? And who are the people doing that for us? Who are the people who help point us to Jesus? And who are we leading to Jesus?
If you're struggling to answer some of those questions, then it might be worth asking how you could change the way you approach things like home group or Sunday mornings or, or pub church or even how you go about building and investing in friendships. Like with Priscilla and Aquila, that building of a friendship can start with just a cup of tea, which will be available downstairs after the service. So, going back to the passage, we have Priscilla and Aquila discipling Apollos in Ephesus. And I wonder what they spoke about. It seems likely that by the way Luke has written this story, that they spoke about this baptism of John that Apollos knew of. Luke is talking here about the ministry of John the Baptist, which you can read about at the beginning of any of the four Gospels. John the Baptist came before Jesus to prepare the people for him and to point to him. He was baptizing uh, when he was baptizing people, it was as a sign of repentance for the people of Israel because they turned away from God. If Apollos knew of John the Baptist's baptism and was well read in the Old Testament, it's likely that he was well aware of the sort of Messiah to expect. The language Jesus used to describe himself was that of the suffering servant from Isaiah, the shepherd king from Zechariah, or the son of man from Daniel. It's likely that this is the sort of thing that Apollos was teaching in the synagogue in Ephesus. So when Priscilla and Aquila um, take him home and explain to him who Jesus was, what he did, um, the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost and all that happened since, it's easy to see why he was so quick to accept Jesus as the Messiah. As far as we know, Apollos had never met Jesus or knew about the Holy Spirit. But I wonder if it was like he almost already knew him because of his knowledge of the Scriptures. In the same way that Priscilla and Aquila had spent time with Paul, Apollos had spent time with the Scriptures. It's a bit like what Morag said last week. God came knocking at Apollos' door, but here we see Apollos was ready to receive him. I think that's the kind of disciple Jesus wants. Someone who's passionate about who Jesus is, what Jesus taught, and then spends time with the Bible, which can tell us about these things. We're meant to love Jesus. We certainly sung about that this morning. And that love is meant to be at the center of everything we do. So why not get to know him a bit better by reading the best book about him? Spending time with the Bible not only helps us to get to know him or to recognize his voice, but in a way it also encourages us to be in community, as I was saying before. When, because when the inevitable questions and wrestlings come up, we want to go and speak to people and ask people the questions that we don't know the answer to. And I think that's the kind of disciple Jesus wants. I also just wanted to say that if you're like me and you're not one to reach for a book, uh, then I could understand how picking up a Bible and reading it can be really difficult. If that's you, I'd encourage you to pray about it um, and ask God with help to want to read the Bible. He often likes to uh, answer that sort of prayer. Prayer for motivation. And then set your mind to it and try I found it really helpful finding a place and a time that made it just as easy as possible. Start with a little and be forgiving to yourself. So moving on to the final section of this passage, Luke then re-emphasizes the importance of personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. From the beginning of chapter 9 to verse 10, Paul is back at the center of the story. 
When Paul arrived back in Ephesus, he found some disciples and asked if they received the Holy Spirit when they believed. They replied saying they don't even know who the Holy Spirit is, but that they received John's baptism, like Apollos, in the previous section. Paul tells them about Jesus, baptizes them, then places his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Luke then says they begin to speak in different languages and prophesy. In this section, there seems to be an apparent contradiction with how Paul describes the work of the Spirit at baptism and how Luke does here. In some of his letters, Paul says that one can only say Jesus is Lord by the Spirit. Thus, one is filled with the Spirit at conversion. Whereas here, Luke describes the baptism in the name of Jesus and the filling with the Holy Spirit as two different works of the Spirit. We have to be very careful when we read these passages, as Paul and Luke use the language and imagery of baptism differently. Paul talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in terms of the initial action of the Holy Spirit in someone becoming a Christian. But Luke instead often identifies the physical filling of power, like what is seen at Pentecost and here in this passage, as the baptism in the Spirit, often resulting in the release of spiritual gifts. Church movements across the world have spent a lot of time debating for one or the other. Some say you are filled at conversion, and that's it. Some say there's a sort of almost like second conversion where you have this like intense experience um, and that happens after, or something like that. The vineyard takes uh, both and approach this in some ways. That you, are filled, <laughs> that you are filled when you become a Christian, whether it's one of those super intense experiences or not, but that there is more on offer as well. You can go on and be filled again and again and again. Luke is also referring to Old Testament ideas of the Spirit filling someone or being upon someone for the fulfilling or, uh, of a call or mission. For example, throughout Acts, Luke says that certain key people are filled with the Spirit, like Stephen or Barnabas. And of course, you have what happened at Pentecost, with Jesus telling his disciples to wait until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But all of these cases of Spirit filling are in order for people to receive power so they can bring others closer to Jesus. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. It's not about some sort of Christian or holiness status or a competition of who's had the most intense experience. Because it's not really the physical experience that's important. It's the power that's found in the presence of God that's important. It's about meeting with Jesus, who we love, who loves us, and who is alive today. And it's about being empowered to do what he wants us to do. So we should seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again, not because the first time was insufficient, but because there's so much on offer. And if we're not open to it, then we might miss it. I think that's the kind of disciple Jesus wants, a disciple who is actively seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they're actually able to do what they've been called to do. So what, to what extent are we open and willing to what God might want to do in us this morning? I'm shattered. Um, I, I, you know, I want to go to bed. Um, I might just want to go home after the service. But um, 
it's really important that as, as we approach church on a Sunday that we are open to and expectant of, of, of God to do something with us. Because if we're like that, then we're less likely to miss it when he comes. To what extent are we prepared for God to use us in our day-to-day lives, in the mundane and in the ordinary? How open are we to God empowering us to use us for the supernatural? So to bring this to a close, we've looked at these stories and landed on five of the things that I think Jesus wants to see in his disciples. And they form almost as catchy an acronym as Ert de Meneur. And that is, and, ag- yeah, and again, score. <laughs> I was t- so tempted to write, like, what's the score? Um, <laughs> uh, which stands for uh, <laughs> Scripture, Holy Spirit, Community, Obedience, and Reproduce. I'm going to get better at making acronyms. Um, So we saw with Apollos the importance of using scripture to get to know the Lord, so that when he speaks, we can hear and recognize it to be him. We saw with Paul and the Ephesian disciples the importance of being filled with the Spirit, that we can be personally introduced to and meet with the living God, who empowers us to do what he calls us to do. We saw with Priscilla and Aquila the importance of doing this all in community, that we can encourage, challenge, love one another, and in our own way, reflect a bit of who Jesus is as well. We saw with Paul the importance of obedience, that once we've heard him, we then go and do what he said. And through all the characters this morning, we saw the values of reproducing disciples, both in terms of investing in the church and in lovingly bringing those on the outside into it. I think that's the kind of disciples Jesus wants. So my question to finish is, what can you be doing to be a better disciple of Jesus? I wonder if there's anything I've said today that stands out to you. Maybe you feel a prod to spend more time with your Bible. Maybe you get a sense that you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit this morning. Maybe you realize you're not really part of a healthy community. Maybe you're struggling to hear from God, or you're afraid of what being obedient to him might mean for you. Or maybe you realize you're struggling in reproducing new disciples. What can you be doing to be a better disciple of Jesus? Whatever it is, we're now going to bring this all before God in prayer. So we're going to move into a a time of ministry. So would you like to stand and I'll pray. Yeah, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and move in this place.